to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Exactly what, what uh, in some ways, what John and, and Clancy have said really set us up for precisely what we want to do today. And that is when Paul gets, we're in Ephesians chapter, um, chapter uh, 6 right at the beginning. And we're just continuing to work through uh, what, what is going, what, what are the practical outworkings of getting who we are in Christ. Remember the first part of Ephesians chapter 1 is about identity in Christ. And then we flow into identity as the church. Then we flow into what are the implications of that in terms of, 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 of mission and ministry gifts of the Spirit, and so on and so forth, morality, and, and, and how we behave towards one another, how do we manage our sexuality, how do we ha- handle life in a, in a, in a toxic environment. Um, and I think it's significant that the last two chapters, five and six, last half of five and into six, really deal with core relationships that get damaged when power is misused. Core relationships that get damaged when power is misused. So the relationship between husband and wife is not a power relationship if it's going to be about domination or manipulation. It's a power relationship if we use our power that we're built for to elevate, to lift, to empower others. So how does that then work itself out in the, in the patterns of intimate relationships that exist between parents and children? And in, the, and, and in the patterns of relationships that are 40 or 45 or 50 hours a week between employees and employers, if I'm an employee, how does the work of the Spirit, I'm built for power, how does that work itself out in my relationship to my boss when he's, he or she is unreasonable? How does it work itself out when I'm an employer and, 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 and trying to motivate and work with people who are are, are, are stuck maybe in their places and in their ways, especially if they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And our primary relationship is not employee-employer, but brother and sister in Christ. How does that work itself out in a community of faith? So we're going to move through this fairly quickly. Um, and so I'm going to try and be respectful of your time, but uh, we'll, we'll look at this. Especially uh, as we look in Ephesians uh, chapter 6 and verses uh, 1 through 9. We'll get to that in just one sec. But I want you, as you read through this, to remember that the church at Ephesus was a church that understood the nature of spiritual power. Every system represented was, or excuse me, every system of power that was available in the world was represented there. That's what the temples were about. The manipulation of the powers for personal benefit or gain. So when Paul pushes back against a common misunderstanding of marriage in the Ephesian culture by suggesting that it is one about mutuality of submission first to Christ and then to each other, and then it is about lifting and empowering our husbands or wives, he is pushing back against a a tsunami of misunderstanding that was present in the Ephesian culture. That is that it's the male's job in the culture to dominate and it's the female's job in the culture to manipulate. And Paul just says, no, 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 no. That's not how we who are disciples of Jesus manage this most intimate of our relationships. 
We want to be servants of the Most High God in the ways that we treat one another. Right? So then what he says here, let's go ahead uh, and, and, and put it up. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may well go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when they're watching you, but as servants, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve then wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. It's a powerful text, isn't it? I mean, we can almost just walk through it very quickly, which I intend to do as we think through this. So the first thing we need to understand, again, is that Paul is, is talking about how we, who are disciples of Jesus, who are filled with the Spirit, who know who we are, how we negotiate first marriage last week, and now how do we negotiate this relationship of transition of the generations? How do we parent? And, and first of all, he does something that is unthinkable in that first century culture, and that is he addresses children directly. We have gotten the cult of the child in 21st century North America where children become pedestalized. They're not built for that. They're not built for that. If children are the center of a marriage, the marriage and the child will collapse. Children are intended to be in orbit around the parental pair, the goal of which is to release them to their lives. Because everybody knows the purpose of having children is to get rid of them. Right? You've got roughly 16 to 18 years to train them in adequate self-sufficiency so they can move out of your house and not come back. <laughs> this, this is kind of the idea that we're, that we're working on here. But in that particular culture, children were not valued in the way they are now. They, they, were, they, were, they were often an accident, a mistake. You can imagine... A, a religious worship environment in which sexual intercourse was the primary form of worship, that you're going to have a lot of children around that are not wanted by anybody. And they would regularly they'd be abandoned on the hills around Ephesus as, as, as a form of, 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 of infanticide for the, for the most part. Guess who would go around and collect those children and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord? The church would do that. Much in the way that the garden is beginning to do that. Some of you moving into the foster care system and in the adoption system. And I just want to say blessings on your head. You are transforming the world by that self-sacrificing love and service. And we want to support you in that as best we can. You are following in a 
thousand-year-old tradition of disciples of Jesus embracing the unwanted child. Now, with that in mind, please notice, in order to do that, you can't value children very highly, including your own. So children were not celebrated. Children were not idolized. Children were not regarded as being anything. If ever they were addressed formally, it was only through their father. So notice now what Paul does to the children of the assembly in Ephesus, to the children at the garden in Ephesus. He speaks to them directly. He honors them with sufficiency. He says to them, you are in the Lord as much as your parents are. You, child, have value. You have worth. You have significance. You are in Christ. And that means you have responsibilities just like adults do. And I recognize that until we have full functioning youth ministry here, where we got kids in, the, in, the, in, in, our, in our worship service, and I just want to say to you guys, you're in Christ too. You have value too. You have worth too. You are not valuable because you're connected to your parents. You're valuable because you're connected to Jesus Christ. But that also means you have some responsibilities that attach to that. Because notice what he says. Honor your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. He's not necessarily saying your parents are in the Lord. He's saying you are. And that's how you ought to act. As someone who is in Christ, now what do you do? You honor your parents. What does that mean? Well, first of all, he says, this is a, com- this is a commandment that we have from, from both ex- Exodus and Deuteronomy. It has to do with the honoring of father and mother. First commandment with the promise so you don't die prematurely. Everybody caught that. It reminds me of that old Bill Cosby routine. Remember, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Remember? Anybody remember that? that uh, uh, so the first commandment with the promise is honor your parents so you don't die prematurely. In fact, what he's really saying there and what the word actually says is if you have no honoring of your elders, you have no future as an elder. If you have no celebration of the traditions that gave you identity, what makes you think that life will continue into the future? You are not any of you self existent. You came from somewhere. You're going somewhere. Honor where you came from. Honor the people who poured life into you, even if they didn't do such a hot job. That doesn't mean that we have to have, and I recognize speaking in our community here, that there are some of you who have had very difficult and troubled relationships with parents. He's not suggesting, and and he wasn't then, a simple blind eye to the damage that was done to you. He is saying the honor comes out of you, not rooted in them. You are in the Lord, whether they are or not. You can love them out of who you are, not because of what they do. This is hard for us. And it might mean the best way to honor is from distance. It might mean that the best way to celebrate the value of the gift they have given is by creating appropriate boundaries to protect us from the damage that they continue to work in us. So I'm not, I, 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 I don't want to simply say just close your eyes and keep running into the buzzsaw. That's not what I think Paul is arguing. What he's saying is you need to have a disposition of honor 
to the elders who have gone before you, both in the church and in your own home. If they have done you harm, if they have done you damage, find healing and wholeness, not in renewed relationship with them, but in the Lord. That's where it's going to finally get anchored in. So as John mentioned this morning, we invite Jesus into this relationship. We invite Jesus into our healing here. Do you see what he's saying? And for Paul, this is a presumption, not just for children who are living at home, but for those of us who have parents and and who have left home, but who have parents still alive. We want to honor our parents. We want to honor them as best we can. And and, and in in ways that are are indicative of who we are, regardless of who they may be at at any given time. We live in a culture of contract. Paul did too. He gets that you should treat others the way they treat you. And pushes back by saying, no, treat them out of how God in Christ has treated you. Act out of that identity, not out of how they have behaved towards you. Does that make sense? And then he invites us, and, and, and I love this, uh, to remember that it's not just children who are spoken to here, but fathers who are spoken to. And he says, fathers, don't exasperate. The Greek in behind that is don't anger your children. Now, I need to say something here. Sometimes children are going to get angry by being told no to something that they really want to do. Paul is not saying don't say no so that your children don't get angry with you. Paul is saying don't erect artificial barriers, unrealistic expectations that set your child up for failure. Don't anger them on purpose. Sometimes they're just going to be angry because they have to be as a part of learning how to be a person, right? Anger is one of the ways that we recognize that a boundary has been violated. Anger is good. But we don't deliberately antagonize our children so that they get angry. This is what he's arguing. We parent them the way God in Christ has parented us. How many of you have ever been angry with God? How many of you are now lying because you kept your hands down? Because the truth is, sometimes God does some things that results in us being angry with Him. But He doesn't anger us intentionally. He's not doing so to deliberately exasperate us. He doesn't set us up for failure as a way of teaching us a lesson. He doesn't do that. Similarly, he says to fathers, sometimes, no matter how well you do as a parent, you're going to, your children are going to be angry with you. That's fine. Just make sure you didn't do it with a level of intentionality, a level of exasperation, a level of unrealistic expectations that is irrespective of them. One of the primary ways that parents anger children is by parenting them by comparison. For example, right? You're just like or you're not. Why can't you be like? Why don't you... and and then we'll pick up some hero someplace without necessarily attending to who it is that sits at our breakfast table. Do you notice that Jesus never parents you? God never parents you by comparison. He never compares your spiritual journey to somebody else's. Not even yours. Do you see? So he invites us into that pattern of parenting 
Because some of us are just terrified. How many of you... No, I won't ask you to show your hands. Because some of us have been damaged by parents who deliberately exasperated us out of their insecurities, out of their fears, out of the lousy way they were parented by our grandparents. Right? Sometimes we, it's just like one of the rules of family systems theory is that no problem is only one generation deep. We're dealing with a, a, a stone that was dropped in a pond by our grandparents sometimes. And, and, our, and our parents were, were... It's an amazing that they were able to walk vertical on the planet given some of the horror that was done to them in the early 20s and 30s. It's just amazing that they did as good a job as they did, try as hard as they could. You know? I, 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 my dad was born in 1917. He was a child of the Depression. He was terrified most of his life. I didn't know it until after he died. We came across a journal that he had written between the ages of 18 and... I mean, uh, in, in his mid-20s. And I realized that some of the anxiety stuff that my kids are dealing with is genetic back to my dad... And genetic. My family name traces back to the early 1600s in Holland. We can go back that far, and I would not be at all surprised to see some generational traits of anxiety, of depression, going back there. My dad hung on to life with his fingernails because that's all he had. He got up and he went to work every morning at a job that he grew to love. He was not interested in a job that he loved as a condition of employment. All he needed to do, all he wanted to do was put food on the table for his family. I can think of two times in my entire life that my dad told me that he loved me. He never told me that he was proud of me. Does that mean he wasn't? It does not. It means that he couldn't. He never learned how. He never heard it. And so he could never speak it. So if you sit here as a victim of somebody else's parenting or grandparenting or great-grandparenting, can I invite you to be the first one to break the chain? But break it backwards as well as forwards. Speak love and honor backwards to your parent. Do they know that you're proud of them? Do they know that you honor them for the sacrifice they made for you to be alive and on the planet? Now, I recognize again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not giving a, 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 a green card or a pass to all parents for all bad things that they ever... I'm, it's just, you know what? I've got enough to do just to mind in my own business. So I want to honor... Where honor is due. It's not unfiltered. I'm going to spit out the bones and take the value. My dad also taught me to pray. Grabbed me by the hand and hauled me down the basement in the 8th Avenue Pentecostal Assembly Tabernacle in Calgary, Alberta in the middle of winter and we kneeled on mats that the women's ministries group had crocheted and, and quilted. I was eight years old and my dad said, we're going to pray. I just wanted to be like him. So I went down that basement and I kneeled with all those old people and encountered God 
Week after week after week after week, apparently God knew where the basement was. <laughs> do, do you see what I'm saying? It's always both, isn't it? It's always both. Some of the things, I just, I, just, I don't want to be like my dad. Uh, time out. Sorry. You are. So, if you don't like some of the characteristics, that's fine. Decide what, where you're going to get off the off-ramp. But don't throw the grandpa out with the bathwater. <laughs> do, do, do you see what I'm saying? And some of you are just saying, oh, no, 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 don't speak that over me. Don't, don't, don't. You'll be fine. <laughs> if you parent in the Lord. If you're a child in the Lord. My identity is not first that I am probably the 50 or 15th or 16th Willem Hendrick doctrine in history. My name, we're, we're each named after our grandparents. So I'm after my grandfather who is after his grandfather who is after his grandfather. The Willem has transferred back to the 1600s. So my son is named after his grandfather, my dad, who is named after his grandfather back to 1604. Proud of my name. That's not who I am. I am a beloved son of the Most High God. And I want to live primarily out of that identity, not out of my named identity. And Paul says this is how you push back against the powers that so elevated the role of father that it was a father at, at one point in history. I was trying to nail this down and I didn't quite get it right. So please, miss, if I get this wrong uh, and somebody can find this, help straighten me out. But because my initial research indicated that a father at one point in history could not be charged with a capital crime against his own children. The assumption was the father knew, knew best. That clearly is not the case now. And Paul is clearly pushing back against that kind of mentality. Some of you are terrified to parent because of the way you were parented. So don't parent the way you were parented. Parent the way God in Christ has parented you. You'll be fine and so will your kids. Does that make sense? But then he goes on and he says... Um, it, nourish them in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up that way. Nourish them. It's the, it, the, the word that is translated there, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The bring them up there. The Greek in behind that is the same word that's used for things like that Jesus commissioned Peter with. Nourish, care for, nurture. So what is he saying to us? He's saying become a student of your children. Mom, Dad, become a student of your children. If you've got three kids, you've got three different, completely different persons. My, my mistake, I parented my first son the way I was parented. I parented my second son the way I should have parented my first son. And I didn't parent my third son at all. He just kind of raised himself up. <laughs> any, of, any of you third children and you know what I'm talking about, it's like, what's your name? I... I I mean, in the test of the, the I don't know what you call it anymore because I'm old, but you know, the test of the soother, 
You know what I mean? The, the, I don't know, what do you call it? The thing you stick in their mouth so that they suck on it? What, pacifier? I'm not probably going to be a great-grandfather either, so. But, you know, with the first one, what do you do? I mean, it falls on the floor and you're scrubbing it and you're disinfecting it. we got a backup of about ten and just in case, you know, so we can cycle through them. Second one comes along, it's like... Okay, there. Third one comes along. Pick it up yourself for crying out loud. You'll be fine. It's just... Because nobody tells you that the more children they have, the older you get too. I don't know how that works, but but there you are. And, and, And what Paul is saying here to us is what? You parent in the Lord. That means you study them the way Jesus studies you. How do they need to be cared for? How do they need to be nurtured? What are their gifts? What are their talents? What are their abilities? What are the ways that the Spirit is working in them? Parent them in a way that partners with what God is already doing in the raising of them up to be His children first, not yours. That's hard. That's hard. But that's the goal. I want them to love Jesus more than they love me. I want them to be His disciples more than they're mine. I want to be His disciple in such a way that they fall in love with Him. I want my life to not make any sense apart from the love of God in Christ. That's what I think he's saying here, right? And then, uh, and I know we're running tight on time. Would you give me a few more minutes? I don't care. I'm going to take it anyway, but it's polite to ask. That's what my... Dad told me, of course, he's dead now, so it doesn't matter that much. Just relax. It'll be all right. How many of you saw my father there? <laughs> yes. Okay. So, then he talked, and, and again, when we move on to the, uh, go ahead to the next one. <laughs> Thing. We've got a signal going back and forth here. Okay. Uh, I need to say this, maybe just to snapshot it. The institution of slavery in North America is not um, um, indicative of the way slavery worked in most of the civilized world for most of the history of the world, and particularly not in the first century. Uh, in, in, while it was still a, it could be a, a horrific and barbaric practice to remove liberty from someone, often persons would choose slavery rather than homelessness. And in that particular institution, slavery was um, similar to employment. You would receive housing uh, as well as some kind of salary, as well as some kind of meaningful work. Yes, it could be demeaning. Yes, it could be uh, 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 brutalizing. Uh, but in, in many instances, it was a way to pay off family debt. In many instances, um, it, it could be an honorable uh, occupation uh, all the way up through to the courts of the Caesars. So when we see slaves here, we ought not think of the North American institution of slavery as in, you know, civil war and so on and so forth, as horrific as that was. We need to think, and this is why I'm going to translate this to suggest it's probably more for us at least about employer-employee relationships than it is about master-slave, even though he uses that language. Here's what I want you to also remember. When they were outside the door of the church, they were master and slave. As the church, they were brother and sister. 
This is amazing transformation societally for Paul. To be able to say to someone who had no business as a slave, to sit next to his master as a brother in Christ, is an amazing transition of culture. And Paul does the same thing with them as he does with children. He elevates them. He lifts them up. And he gives them responsibilities as, as a functioning adults in the community of faith. He says to them, Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart. Fear here is not about terror. It's about a, a parallel to respect. With sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So please notice, he's, he's realigning our relationships to our employers based not on who they are, but on who we are and who our alignment is primarily. When I go to work for the man, I go to work for the Lord. This is what he's saying to us. If, we, if, we, if, we, if our behavior is oriented first to them, we're always going to end up on the wrong side of the equation. But if our behavior towards our bosses is primarily a reflection of our relationship and understanding of our relationship with the Lord... We're going to end up on the right side of the equation uh, more often than not. So obey them, not just to win their favor when they're watching you. How many uh, see other people in that mirror? We can all be good if we're being watched. Paul says, you're being watched, but not by them. Remember, your orientation is to Christ do the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Why? Because you are. Don't be people pleasers, but be God pleasers. This is what he's saying. I would love it that if the garden got a reputation in our city of producing as a part of the kingdom of God people who knew how to work hard whose work ethic was not anchored in how much am I getting in a culture of entitlement, but whose work ethic was anchored in, I'm a child of God who through my employment is bringing the kingdom of God to bear in this particular place. Of course I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can. Oh, you're paying me for this as well? Do you see? And, and it starts, can I just be honest, as a, as a college professor, I just want to say it starts in the classroom. I keep saying to my students all the time, this is your ministry. You're not preparing for ministry somewhere else. Sitting here taking that history exam, doing that algebra problem, working on that calculus e e equation. This is the kingdom of God beginning to be formed in you. The way you are a student shapes the way you are a worker, shapes the way you are a citizen of the kingdom. You don't have to do as well as anybody else, but you have to do as well as you can. Why? Because you're not working for the teacher. You're not working for a GPA. You're not working for a, a dean's list award. You're working to bring the kingdom of God into that classroom environment. This is, I think, what he's arguing for. Do you see how this, this reorients everything that we do? Right? So as, as I'm... Because uh, uh, how, how many of you have had unreasonable bosses? Of course we all have. 
Unreal that nobody works for anybody in the church, right? We're all good. Okay, so we all have had people that have been unreasonable. We've all had people who have made unrealistic demands. We've all had people who deliberately set us up to fail, who have deliberately exasperated us. Why would I put them in charge of my internal well-being? I'm going to orient myself to the Father, serve as well as I can. I don't have to survive. It's easy to say. But please notice, for Paul's audience, it was not metaphor. It was real. It was literal. And so he invites them to serve wholeheartedly, serving the Lord. But then he turns the table and says, Now, masters, employers, treat your slaves the same way. What way? In, in the Lord, in Christ. Don't threaten them. Be honest. Live with integrity because you also have a master. And he shows no favoritism. Just because you're the boss, you get judged with the same standard that the people you're employing get judged by. So, as he works through this, please remember what he's, what he's after here. Go on to that next slide there. Because what he's after is... Um, somebody there? There we go. Treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours, is, there is no favoritism with him. So children are not lower in God's eyes than parents. Parents are not higher than children. Slaves, employees are not lower. Masters, employers are not higher. He regards everyone without favoritism. What does this call us to? These are the relationships that were most damaged in the Ephesian culture by a misuse of power. How many of you recognize the same patterns of destruction prevail today? in our patterns of relationship with our kids, with our marriages, with our employees, with our employers. And we're invited to be part of the solution. Whether you work for a Christian company or a Christian employer or not, you are a citizen of the kingdom. Live out of the center of that reality. I'm going to invite uh, our team to come back and, and, and pray. Uh, we're going to spend a few minutes, but some of you, I know, I want to push into this a little bit. Uh, as we as we uh, close close out this morning, um, let's pray together. Lord, um, as we sit with this with this important text, um, we recognize, O oh Lord, that uh, this is this is about more than arcane advice to people two thousand years ago. This is counsel that is relevant to us today, because as Darren will speak here in a couple of weeks, we don't wrestle against simply flesh and blood relationships, but events, principalities and powers. We are reminded, however, O Lord, that the ways that the damage works itself out in the misuse of power is in flesh and blood relationships between parents and children, between husbands and wives, between employees and employers. And so, Lord, even in those flesh and blood relationships, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. We want, oh God, you to empower us for our roles as mothers and fathers. We want you to fill us up for our work as children, first citizens of the kingdom, and then sons and daughters of our mother and father. We want to honor them 
because we are in the Lord. And we need help with this, Lord. We want to be people who work in a space and in an environment whose very work ethic is bringing the kingdom to bear in that environment. The way that we make decisions, the way that we do our work, the way that we don't get caught up in the office soap opera, the way that we push back against the gossip. Not in a, in a belligerent, better than anybody way, but just simply as a citizen of the kingdom. Give us strategies for this, Lord. We need help in it. We need help in it. We need help in it. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up. And if you are here today and we can pray with you in any of these particular matters, if you have felt the draw of the Spirit, whether it's in marriage from last week or parenting, being a kid uh, today or being an employee, employer, we want to take some time and just pray with you into this for the release of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be His citizen in that. Lord, help us to step in to what you've called us to in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.